starting in verse 23. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields. As they made their way, his disciples began to pluck grains of he heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the priest, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which, is, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you for the privilege of hearing your word, that you're a God who reveals yourself to us. You do not leave us in the dark darkness and the brokenness and the thorns and thistles of this world that is not the way it's supposed to be, that has spurned your world and your design where sin and sorrow reign, where all the curses found throughout all of creation. Father, you are a God of light who has stepped into our darkness to shine the bright light of who you are, your nature, your heart, your ways, your design for mankind. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is gracious and compassionate. Father, we thank you that even though we wander, we turn away, we look in, inward rather than upward, we focus on ourselves rather than loving our neighbor. Father, we thank you that you are a forgiving and gracious God. Father, open our eyes to the truth today and be able to see new and afresh your word this morning that we may think different, act different, and love differently because we have seen Christ in a deeper, more profound way today by the power only of your spirit. We pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Larry um, Spencer is a Gator fan, and you may be seated. And I gave him uh, some hard names today, too. So I'm an equal op opportunity offender. He, um, have you ever sat in pastoral counseling? I, I've sat down and talked with couples and with people, and they come to me with a problem. And about halfway through the conversation, I realize they're not actually talking about what they're saying. There's something else that's deeper and going on. Uh, when Denise and I were newly married, we had a pretty good fight about a um, bath towel. Do you remember the fight about the bath towel? We were fighting about a bath towel. I can promise you the merits of how this bath towel was fo folded or where it was placed or whatever it was, uh, we weren't fighting about that. There was something else that was going on. And uh, usually about halfway through some of these things, I'm like, okay, you're not talking anything about what you're saying. There's really, there's a heart issue that I have to get through and all this tangled briar and bush to be able, what's really, what are you really here for? And I, sometimes I can figure it out by, by the Spirit. Sometimes I walk away and be like, I have no idea what just happened in that last hour. But this morning, we're going to be talking about the Sabbath. And I think this in Mark chapter 2, as we end up in uh, Mark chapter 2, and we spill over into Mark chapter 3, I think this is one of those times. Uh, Jesus and the Pharisees are talking about the Sabbath, but they're not actually talking about the Sabbath. There's something else that's deeper. There's a, a, a root that's there that they're working through and, and, and uh, going through. So what I want to do is I want you to know this morning uh, I'm going to throw my big idea out there right away, if I can advance the, the slide here. Genuine disciples of Jesus 
focus their hearts on Christ, not the letter of the law. Okay? Genuine disciples of Jesus focus their hearts on Christ, not the letter of the law. How do we do that? How do we focus on Christ in the context of this? We receive the gift of Sabbath. We receive the gift of Sabbath. And then we do the work of Sabbath. And some of you are like, hmm, I remember Sabbath, you're supposed to be resting, not working. So that's a little teaser right there with that second point. What's really going on? Here. And so as we look at this, I want to jump right into chapter 2, verse 23. How do we receive the gift of Sabbath that the Lord has given us? All throughout Scripture, all the way back to the giving of the Ten Commandments, the people of God have observed Sabbath. And God called the people at Mount Sinai, given through Moses, to rest from their labor and to devote themselves to the holiness of God. Uh, all the way back to Genesis or Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, a rest. And you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner which is in your gates. From sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, the people were of God were commanded to observe the Sabbath from all their labors. And they were forbidden to do their work. And if anybody um, violated that Sabbath and began to work, there was punishment that was prescribed. Um, failure to honor the holiness of God by keeping the Sabbath brought in Israel under the judgment of God. This was a very real thing. In Nehemiah, after the exile, the people have been sent into exile and they are starting to come back. And Nehemiah says this, looking at the history and the story of Israel, did not our fathers act this way? And did not our father bring all this disaster on us to this day? Didn't we, we deserve this? Now that the Lord has provided and brought us back into the land, are you bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath day? So realizing that the Sabbath is something that's incredibly important because it respects the holiness of God, this is the context that our text this morning is coming in, the Sabbath day, the Sabbath rest. And we have, our main characters are Jesus, the Pharisees, and then a crippled man. With a, uh, with a disabled hand. Now, when we think of the Pharisees, we grew up in Sunday school, and we usually see the Pharisees, and they have a scowl on their face, and maybe they have on the flannel graph that we grew up, they have the angry eyebrows, and they walk around, rah, 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 rah. And, and when we think of the Pharisees, and none of us think us, of ourselves as Pharisees. But at the heart of the Pharisees was a desire to be biblical. But what happened is the zeal of the Pharisees led them away from God himself and actually down the side trail of self-righteousness. I can justify myself by keeping all these laws in being very biblical. And that's where they went off, and I believe there are many within evangelicalism that are more Pharisees than they are the genuine followers of Jesus because they're trying to justify themselves by how biblical they are, and doing that, they have completely missed the very heart of God who they claim to serve and to follow. But notice that this desire to be biblical by the Pharisees that had been hijacked by their self-righteousness is going to bring them into a violent collision with Jesus. Notice verse 23. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, what you are doing is not lawful on the Sabbath. What you're doing is not biblical. 
it was this uh, um, debate, the method that is sort of behind it, that the Pharisees challenged him, Jesus, to come up with an answer from the law of why he's doing what he's doing. Point to a scripture that allows you to do this on the, on the Sabbath. Now, we have to be very careful. It's, they're not being, the, the disciples are not being accused of stealing um, because Jesus, or God himself, in scripture says, if you go to your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So if you walk by your neighbor's sunflower seed farm and you were hungry, you could take a few sunflower seeds in your hand and do that, but you can't bring the lawnmower over and mow down their sunflowers and bring them home and, and eat them all yourself. You could go through, eat a few when you're hungry, when you're poor, when you don't have that, and that God had built that into the society to do that. But what the, the, the problem is, wasn't eating the grain of the neighbors, it's actually the act of reaping the grain. What they were doing is they saying, you're doing work because you're reaching up and you're snapping off a head. And as some of the other gospel writers say, they rolled it around in their hands to get the seed out and they were eating. That's reaping. And we look at that and say, that's the silliest thing. You're doing work. And they're thinking, holy cow, that's silly. It's just eating sunflower seeds. It was a minuscule amount, but the Pharisees were saying they are working and they are violating the Sabbath and violating the holiness of God. So Jesus then um, answers their accusations with a scriptural appeal and a scriptural precedent that there is something greater on the Sabbath than rules and regulations. There's a greater Sabbath reality that's happening. And you see this in verse 25 and 26. That's why Larry read this weird passage out of 1 Samuel, because that's exactly what Jesus refers back. And Jesus said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need? He was hungry and those were with him. Now he entered the house of God, the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anybody but the priest to eat, and also gave those to with him. Jesus answers the ac accusations of the Pharisees by going to a scriptural precedent. The Pharisees... Um, the Pharisees ignored the fact that great King David himself, when he was running from Saul, when he was famished and he was hungry and he was on the verge of death in the wilderness, was able to go and eat the, uh, the bread that was designed for the priests alone and God did not hold it against him um, for, for satisfying his desperate need. And so what Jesus is doing, he is telling the Pharisees that the traditions that they have made are unduly stringent and exceed the intention of the Sabbath itself. You are straining the gnat and you are missing the camel. You are uh, focused on the letter of the law and you have missed the spirit of the law itself. If Sabbath reg regulations could be laid aside for David in your rules and your regulations and your stringent, how much more when the very anointed Son of God who has come is here? Now, I have to note this because, again, these are cultural and religious waters that we don't go very often as 21st century evangelicals. Um, that Jesus is not declaring a Sabbath free for all. Woo, we're free in Christ. But what he's doing, he's releasing the people of God from the vice grip of man-made traditions that they have been entangled in. The laws of the Pharisees would rather see a man starve to death or the disciples starve to death rather than violate their rules or their lists or their requirements. You have to do this and many of the things they don't do themselves. Jesus proved from Scripture, from Sir Samuel, that there was something greater. There was a greater Sabbath reality. And what is that the Sabbath reality? What is the spirit of the Sabbath he's trying to show them? Notice verse 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
Or in other words, he, you could say something like, rules were made for man, not man for rules. According to Jesus, the Sabbath was a gift. It was a gift to the people of God that they may find rest and they may find healing and that they may worship God who is good and who is sovereign, who cares for them. Sabbath was a time of freedom. It wasn't a time of, the, it was a time where you could lay aside the, the tyranny of the urgent that was, that we can deliberately lay that aside, six days of work and worry and toil, and not have to work seven days a week every day of your life and burn yourself out thinking that if I don't work seven days, I won't make it. And Sabbath was a gift of God to say, you can trust me with this seventh day because I am good and I am sovereign and I will take care of my people. They could rest in the, from their work and trust the Lord. And that Sabbath day was an, a day that signified that they were, re, they were entering into the holy rest of God. It was a time that allowed the people a tangible way to honor God's holiness. And what it did is it set apart the people of God to say, these people are resting and why aren't they working? They're resting because they trust their God who provides for their needs every day. John Calvin wrote this way. He said, not the, now, the only reason for keeping, now, now the only reason for keeping the Sabbath was that the people, by sanctifying themselves to God, might be employed in true and spiritual worship. I don't work because I worship. And then he said, and he continues, and he said, and next, that being free from all worldly occupations and worries and responsibilities, they might be at more liberty to attend the holy assemblies. They could go and they could enjoy those things because they weren't worried about their fields and they weren't worried about those things that they left behind because those things would be back Monday morning or in their case, Sunday morning. They would be back. But on that day of Sabbath, on the day of rest, they would say, I trust the Lord enough to leave this here and I'm going to go into his presence to, be, uh, to worship the God who's provided me for these six days, who gives me what I need. And I trust him that when I go back, he will give me, he will bless the efforts of six days rather than seven. God gave his people the Sabbath as a gift to bring true freedom. But the self-righteous heart of man has made it a burden that brought bondage. The Pharisees created a long list of things that overwhelmed the people. They, um, the, in the Talmud, which is uh, early 1st, 2nd, 3rd century, they listed, the, the, um, the rabbis said, okay, we need to define what work is. So they got 39 different categories of, of work that was forbidden that they could do. And the only work that you could do and perform that was work that was necessary to preserve life. So if you had an unfortunate accident on the Sabbath, you tripped and fell and dislocated your foot or your hand, you couldn't reset it. Very, you cannot reset those things. You had to wait till sundown. If your roof fell in and the only work that could be done was to be able to figure out if the victims were dead or alive. And if they were alive, you could remove enough rubble to get them out. And if they were dead, you'd have to leave them in till Sabbath is over. And so these regulations got so stringent to a point, they said, you can't walk more than 1,999 paces because that would be considered a journey. Uh, 1,998 paces is not a journey, so that's okay. And so what happened is this burden started to overwhelm them. They said on the Sabbath, you can't loosen knots. You can't sew more than one stitch. You can't write more than one letter. They had rules and regulations to prevent work from happening. They wanted to be biblical, but being biblical, they became self-righteousness and put burdens on the people. And Jesus says, in reality, they themselves don't even do. Does it remind you of anybody you know? I think our hearts naturally are pharisaical and self-righteous because we tell all the other people you have to do this this and this and we make all these kind of lists when truth be told we don't keep them ourselves but jesus is saying there is something that is beautiful about the sabbath that the rules of mankind has marred and twisted and mutilated Rather than bringing rest and healing and worship, it brought toil and it brought anxiety and it brought distraction. 
And this is the good news of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, is that the Son of Man has come to redeem us from sin, but the Son of Man has also come to release his people from the burden of religious regulations that uh, that they may focus their hearts on Christ. And when they do that, alone can they find rest, and they can find life, and they can find renewal. Why? Because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the greater reality that the, the Sabbath laws were intended for to focus on. Notice verse 28. So the man, Son of Man, Jesus' title for himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. It is God who instituted the Sabbath, and Jesus has, infused, has been infused with authority as Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one who decrees what is lawful and unlawful, not the religious authorities. He is the one that says what is permissible and impermissible. Jesus is able to, to transform the focus of the Sabbath from the burden of rules to the message of the kingdom. J.C. Ryle says this, he says, the plain truth is that our Lord did not abolish the law of a weekly Sabbath. He only freed it from the incorrect interpretations and purified it from man-made additions. He did not tear out the Decalogue of the fourth commandment. Oops. He stripped, uh, I'm, I lost it. He stripped off the miserable traditions with the fairies had encrusted the day and by which they had made it not a blessing, but a burden. Jesus transformed the Sabbath to a day on which we turn our attention away from the things of this world, from the pursuits that we must do, the pursuits that he has called us to do, and focus our hearts on Christ, that we may see the kingdom of God in our hearts and in our lives. Jesus recalibrates the focus from a self-centered obsession to what a person can or cannot do to a Christ-centered focus that reminds us to whom that we belong. In Christ, the Sabbath rest is a gift that reminds us that we belong to Jesus in mind and body and soul. It enables us to find rest in his completed work on the cross, and it demonstrates to the world that we have found satisfaction in Christ because we make him and the worship of Christ our priority. Now, often as evangelicals, the gift of Sabbath is not a day that gives that uh, the gift of Sabbath becomes a day that gives us an excuse to take a three-hour nap or to binge watch our TV shows or watch eight hours of football in our underwear, not our house, somewhere else's house, um, or we sip, sip mimosas at brunch or we catch up on the laundry that we didn't have time through for the rest of the week. But Jesus actually has given his Sabbath for genuine disciples of. Christ to focus, to remove the focus off of our work and our world and joyfully receive the gift of Sabbath rest that we may focus on the person and work of Jesus. See the difference? Sabbath is not a day of inactivity. Sabbath is a day of focus where we turn our attention away from the pursuits of our world, good things and working and creating and serving and loving and doing are things that we normally do, and Sabbath rest is to lay those things aside as best we can and look at Jesus and focus on Jesus. Because genuine disciples of Jesus focus their heart on Christ, not the letter of the law. We do that by receiving the gift of the Sabbath, and then we also do that by doing the work of the Sabbath. It's an odd thing to have Sabbath call us to work but the Sabbath rest is not a devotion to rigid inactivity, but is a devotion to the work of the kingdom of God. Chapter 3 begins in verses 1 and 2 with this final confrontation of five confrontations with the religious leaders. In verses 1 and 2 it says, Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so he, they might accuse him. 
See, Jesus is following this rhythm of working, and he's observing the Sabbath by hearing the word of God as it was taught in the synagogue, as faithful Jews did in the first century. Yet, scattered among the faithful in that synagogue today, there were those with evil, wicked hearts and those with ulterior motives who had no intention of resting from their labors, but they were pushing their agenda and uh, and not receiving the word of God to be able to bolster their kingdoms by smiting the, the kingdom of heaven. There was another man that we see come into the scene. He enters stage right. There was a disabled man, and it says with a withered hand. We don't know all the details, but his hand apparently did not work properly. And it was evident to anybody who would have looked at him that he has a hand that is disabled. And Jesus, in verse 3 and 4, and, and, and um, Pharisees would have been like, ah, See that guy right there, the guy with the withered hand? He's irresistible to Jesus because Jesus is going to want to make that, want to make that man whole and want to, to, to reach out and help that man. It's perfect. And look, he's sitting in the front row. Verse 3 and 4, And he said to the man with the withered hat, Jesus, uh, hand, Jesus said, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Just as the Pharisees earlier had demanded him to prove, uh, to justify his actions from Scripture, Jesus turns the table on them and says, is it lawful to heal this man on the Sabbath? Can you do good or you can do evil to kill or to, uh, or to save life? Is it good to help the needy? Or do we stand by as evil happens when we have the ability to stop and prevent and restore from what evil does? Does the Sabbath allow us to preserve life or that we destroy life? And 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 again, the Pharisees are very biblical. They knew their scriptures very well, and they're going down answering Jesus' questions. They're thinking, checkmate, we're done. We can't answer this question. Jesus is challenging them from Scripture is that observing the Sabbath a matter of the heart Or is it a matter of what we do with our bodies and our outward action? Things that can be tested and measured empirically. You can't go more than 1,999 steps and be considered holy. So if you keep it lower than that on your Fitbit, you're okay. They didn't have Fitbits there. Can you be able to come up with a theological argument to be able to prove your theological superiority while ignoring the needy that are near you? Can you bolster your self-righteousness by claiming how pure and how biblical you are? I am often grieved by people who try to be so radically biblical that they miss Jesus and the very heart of Jesus. And Jesus' answer to them was plain. To leave this disabled man unhealed when Jesus had the power to heal them was doing evil against him. Well, the Pharisees will come back tomorrow and you can heal him then. To do good on the Sabbath by healing the man was the right course of action and Sabbath law by no means forbade it. But their rules forbade it. They're stringent, self-righteous, overthought rules that only benefit them and don't benefit the needy and the poor and those that needed the good news of the gospel most. Jesus boldly looks them in the eye in their self-righteous, smug looks and demands that they answer and from the law of God. And what does it say at the end of verse 4 that they did? They were silent. Hard-hardness is an ugly, ugly thing. Jesus exposed their hearts for what they really were. What was inside of them was rotten and calloused and wicked and evil. 
They use their religion to maintain their power, not to bring healing to those in need. They exploited the plight of the poor and the weak and the powerless as leverage to win an argument over their opponents. They ignored the mercy and grace of the Lord God for their self-righteous pursuits of their legality and their rules and their regulations. In the name of piety, they harden their hearts to the purposes of God and the suffering of man. Their silence exposed what was really in their hearts, in their hearts of stone that laid behind a thin veneer of piety and false holiness. And they were proud of themselves. I'm not like those sinners those people. Notice verse 5. And Jesus looked at them with anger. Righteous indignation. Grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and his hand was restored. See, Jesus didn't stand idly by and watch the Sabbath profaned in their heart and the dis- did not ex- ignore the distress of this, ma- this disabled man who was being ignored and exploited by the people. In reality, his heart burned with anger and it grieved him deeply. And maybe sometimes when we, that grieving that you feel when you see another mass shooting, when you see another child hurt or abused and exploited, another woman beaten in the privacy of their home and nobody will intervene, that grieving of your spirit when you realize this is not the way it's supposed to be and the anger that boils because wrong is being perpetuated and done and evil is right. You are getting angry with the anger of God because you're, you're angry about the right things in the right way. And this is the heart of Jesus. And when we see in Scripture where God is angry or God is grieved, we need to slow down in our reading and say, what is it that the heart of God is angry about and he's grieved about? And in this situation, he's grieved at the self-righteous, the religious self-righteousness of the Pharisees who were being biblical and that they were ignoring those who were in need around them because they felt they were too good to reach out to these lowly sinners who are probably getting what they deserved. And it grieved and it made the heart of God angry. When we see those things that grieve the heart of God and anger it, we need to flee from them. Ultimately, this hardness of heart of the Pharisees is a basic unwillingness to listen and to acquiesce and to submit to the heart of God. They will not listen. The Pharisees refused to consider the words of Jesus, but they hardened their heart in arrogant self-righteousness. James Edwards writes this in one of his commentaries, the greatest enemy of divine love and justice is not opposition. It's not even malice. We can expect that. The greatest opposition is hardness of heart and indifference to divine grace, to which even disciples of Jesus are not immune. Because we're going to see this later on, the disciples themselves have the hardness of heart. They don't get it, and they're not listening to Jesus. And Jesus is trying to communicate what really a disciple of Jesus is. And they're too busy furthering on their agenda what they want Jesus to do to listen to what Jesus wants them to do. Hardness of heart grieves the heart of God, for it is not only spurs the goodness of God, but it indifferently inflicts damage on those who are in need, something that God will not sit idly by and watch. Now, at this point in the book of Mark, we're about Mark chapter 3, verse 6, is a huge paradigm shift that happens here, uh, where now the Pharisees, we've had enough, that was the final straw, we are going to destroy you. And we know that's leading him directly to Calvary. 
But there's this point in the synagogue here that the Pharisees have stood before Jesus with hatred and, and they, they make a, draw a line in the sand. They say, you heal him, you've crossed that line and we'll destroy you. And we have the power to destroy you. And Jesus knows that this, this man standing with a withered hand, if I heal him, they're going to destroy me. But if I ignore them and obey them, I'm going to destroy him. And Jesus gladly and self-sacrificially and willingly crosses that line. And he associates with the suffering man and he, he finds the self-righteousness repugnant. But I love, I love how Jesus does it. It's, as the kids say, it's so savage. Um, Jesus follows the rules. Uh, earlier, it, he went and he touched the leper because you don't do that. So he broke their rule. You don't, you don't say God forgives sins and he forgives them. But they don't want him to work. So he says, stretch out your hand. He doesn't move. He doesn't spit and make something. He doesn't do anything. He says, stretch out your hand. And what happens? The man in faith responds to the call of Jesus and stretches out his newly whole formed hand at the call of Jesus because Mark doesn't say it explicitly, but he followed by faith. He responded to the call of Jesus and he stretched out his hand whole. And Jesus didn't break any single one of their religion, uh, their rules and regulations, but he exposed them for the frauds that they were. Verse 6, Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. The critics of Jesus are so blindly cynical that they are incensed that Jesus would do good and save a life on a holy day. They have no qualms. I mean, this is, the, this is the, the radical hypocrisy of the Pharisees that we are so often guilty of. Uh, that we see these talking heads on the TV show screaming back and forth at each other, just ugly, pharisaical self-righteousness. Turn your TVs off, people. The 24-hour news networks are not friends to the kingdom of God. Not single one of them. They'll have a conservative or liberal or moderate. They are. They are not friends to the kingdom of God. They are enemies under the guise of wholeness and religion and wholesomeness and freedom and all of those things. But what Jesus does is those same people that are so incensed that Jesus would break their rules, they go out on a holy day on the Sabbath and plot his death. They had no problem with that because that was an issue of the heart that their rules could not quantify. But they couldn't walk more than 1,999 steps and they couldn't eat some sunflower seeds because that was work but they could plot the murder of an innocent man. That didn't violate the rules. Brothers and sisters, that violated the heart of the Sabbath, and it grieved and angered the heart of God. Religious leaders' rejection of Jesus was the rejection of life and redemption and left the people to wallow in the pain and the distress of their sin. And as Jesus crosses that line and heals that man and restores him, uh, the clouds of opposition are mounting and they're growing and they're getting darker and the storm is getting thicker and Jesus never once wavers, but he sets his eyes on Calvary because he has come to seek and save and to redeem the lost from their sin and from the self-righteousness. And he cries out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do because the very people that he was coming to save were murdering him. Jesus demonstrates that the Sabbath was created for the benefit of mankind. Jesus doesn't come to abolish laws and set people free from the rules and all rules and regulations. Jesus came to set us free from the wrong rules and regulations so that we can enjoy the freedom of the law of God. We don't, we talked about this Wednesday, we don't want true freedom. Because what's true freedom? Anarchy. If you've watched any of the apocalyptic dramas that are hot on TV, those aren't very fun. The apocalypse is not fun, but it's true anarchy and everybody does what's right and it's miserable. We need the freedom of the laws of God that are made to cause us to thrive and to flourish. 
The Sabbath is not a list of what I'm allowed to do and what I'm not allowed to do. But the Sabbath is um, the freedom and the privilege to do the good that I should do. The Baptist Catechism, question 66, asks this question. How is the Sabbath to be sanctified? And they answer, the Sabbath is to be sanctified by holy resting on all the day, that day. Even from such worldly employments and recreation are lawful on other days. And spending the time in the pub, public and private exercises of God's worship. Ex, um, except, so you're not worshiping all day, so much to be taken up in the works of necessity and mercy. We're to pursue the kingdom of God and do the work of the kingdom, seeking to do good and restore the whole and invest in the things of God. The Sabbath is not a day. The Lord's day is not a day to pursue inactivity, napping and sleeping and watching football, but it's a day to see what is good, to see God himself and his word and his people and his church, and to do what is good and life-giving, worship and service and acts of mercy and acts of love. At the end of the Sabbath, you might be a little more tired than you are after the long day of work because you've invested yourself in worship and you have invested yourself in the service of God and you might not have gotten a nap that day, but you have rested in the Lord because your focus is off of worldly pursuits, good things, often and often bad things, but worldly pursuits like your job and you have focused on your Lord, which sustains you for the next six days that you may rest again. You can't rest if you're too busy working your regular job. You can't, well, I mean, they give you an extra uh, benefit on Sundays. Why wouldn't I work? Nobody else wants to work. I can pick up extra hours. Why? Because you're missing a focusing on God himself. Don't use Sunday as a day of recreation because Saturday you have worked too hard at doing all your things. Don't use Sunday as a day to sleep in and take naps. I was really tired this week, so I skipped church. You need the rest that comes from the word of God and the people of God. The opposite of being a Pharisee is not being gospel-centered. The opposite of being a Pharisee is just being flagrantly pagan. How do we know, how can you know God and serve him if you don't deliberately devote yourself to pursuing him and doing the work of the kingdom? How can your faith be strengthened and your understanding of God grow if you're too busy to go to church because you're watching Netflix or surfing or eating brunch on the Lord's Day? It's not legalism to declare my relationship with the Lord is my first priority so I don't work on the Lord's Day so I can devote myself to worship and to do good to my neighbor. Now, some of you have to work. It's police officers and nurses and things like that. But you have to work to not have to work. And often you have to do prioritize and make Thursday night a little harder because you took that shift so somebody would take your Sunday shift. And you have to work to say, I'm going to do whatever possible I can to do to be off on Sundays so I can worship and serve the kingdom of God. Often, most of us work on Sundays because we simply don't want to put the effort not to have to work. I would love to talk through the challenges and things that happen, but I know many people. I remember Tony Kennard, for those of you who remember him, he um, was just a faithful brother, loved Jesus, and he was, I don't remember how old he was when he died, but he died about three weeks into my pastorate. Um, he liked me. I didn't kill him or anything like that. But he came and he, he passed away. But I just remember Townie, skinny as a rail, probably late 80s, early 90s kind of thing. And he, would, he came in a wheelchair. He could barely walk. But Jesus was so valuable to him. He did the effort and the agony and the strenuousness so he could come to worship. I encourage you, find a way to make that happen. Legalism is asking the question, what's the minimum amount of time that I need to go to church to be considered a Christian? Once a month? Once a quarter? Christmas and Easter? Driving by the church, does that count? 
You can be legalistic by overemphasizing rules and regulations to prove your worth to heaven, or you can use the rules and regulations to get you into heaven by a technicality. Neither are faithful and neither are gospel-minded. Sabbath rest on the Lord day is an opportunity and a privilege of Christians to lay aside the worldly employments and recreation, many good things to pursue good and to do mercy to friends and neighbors in need and to fill your soul with the word of God, even on those days that you don't want to get out of bed, but you say Jesus is more valuable than an extra hour of sleep. He's more valuable than the uh, inconvenience of having to put clothes on my children and bring them to church and to face the traffic and all those things. Jesus is more valuable and I'm going to work to get to Sabbath so I can worship, knowing that genuine disciples of Jesus fix their hearts on Christ, not the letter of the law. We receive the gift of the Sabbath and we do the work of the Sabbath. And I know I'm running out of time, but I have two questions to ask you. Why are you here? Did you come to worship to prove your worth, to earn God's favor, to appease God's wrath because you've done stupid things and you think you need to atone for it? Do you come to church because you, or do you come to church because your greatest need in life is to know God? And the endless chatter of the world needs to be tuned out and you need to quiet your soul that you may hear the voice of your good shepherd through the reading of his word and the singing of his word, the proclaiming of his word, and the voices and the hearts and the faith of your brothers and sisters that without them you would not be able to be aided in this walk to follow Jesus. Every Lord's Day, we leave our homes behind. We leave our home, our comforts of our home and the product, productivity of the office and the enjoyments of sunny Florida. Why? Because we realize that we, our greatest need is not more sleep and more money or more me time. Our greatest need in life is Jesus the life-giving, grace-infusing, soul-satisfying peace that only Jesus can provide. And I trust when I leave those things behind that I can go back and I can pick those things back up because they'll be there, but I'll know Jesus better and I'll be faithful stewards of the six other days that I work. Therefore, I can come to Jesus and focus on Christ that I may receive the Sabbath rest. The healthy body movements of the Church of God, uh, Scott Sundquist in his book, Why Church, which will be the book of the month next month. We come to church, we move our bodies away from our homes and our offices and, and, and fun beach and the golf course and all those things. We come to worship. We stand to praise God. We kneel both literally and metaphorically to confess our sins. We sit to receive God's word in the Lord's Supper. We go to bring Christ's love to the rest of the world on the rest of the days. Brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus can rest in the rhythm of God's pattern for work and worship. I can rest from my labor for one day because I trust the provision of my God who gives me what I need when I need it every day. I want to ask you, why aren't you here? And you're like, I am here. There are many that aren't here. Our church membership is upwards of 175 people and we have about 75 on a typical Sunday. Why is that? Why do people come and they're sitting in the pews, but they're not really here? They're at lunch, or they're at the office, or they're at the beach, or they're in with Calgon, take me away time. There's some of you who this morning who are Pharisees focus on all the wrong things, but there are many of you that made me to be a little more like the Pharisees. You probably have never heard that in church, right? You need a little, be a little more deliberate and desire to be biblical. See, the Lord's Day is not just another day. It is the day that we honor the authority of Christ who delivers us from the hopelessness of the helplessness of sin. It is the day that we devote ourselves to doing the work of the kingdom and investing in the lives of our brothers and sisters. We're not checking it off the list. 
We need to be deliberate. On the Lord's Day, we come to church to celebrate His love and His mercy and His goodness, to cultivate our souls and set our minds on Christ, to encourage our weary brothers and sisters. You don't come to church for just yourself. You're coming for church for all those people around you. They need you. They need your gifts. They need your wisdom. They need your experience. They need you. It's not about you. Your life is not your own. You belong in body and soul to Jesus Christ who bought you and you come to make much of him and to rejoice with your brothers and sisters who have been redeemed from their sins. To use our natural talents and our spiritual gifts to edify the body, to share the good news with our, body, our, our lost friends. Why do they get up every morning and drag those kids to church and they're kicking and screaming and they're crying? Why do they keep going to church? Why don't they just stay at home? Because Jesus is more valuable than kids sleeping quietly in a bed and a cup of coffee, being able to do what I haven't been able to do. Jesus is more valuable. We come to church and to worship to invest in the kingdom of God by doing the work of goodness when needs arrive. When in with our brothers and sisters and those who join us in worship who don't know Jesus, we're able to reach out to them. You can't do any of those things if you're too busy. Say, I'm just too busy. I have a lot of work to do. I'm so tired. I had a busy week and I need to crash. I'm glazed over in church thinking about other things. I'd rather be 5,000 different places. You can't worship and rest thinking about everything else but Christ. The Sabbath rest is not inactivity, but it's pursuing Christ what you do on Saturdays is often what makes Sunday worship seem impossible. Your priorities make Sunday worship impossible. The desires of your heart are often greater than the desires to worship God and invest in His kingdom. And I ask you, what sin do you need to repent of this morning that is hardening your heart? What treasured thing are you holding on to that you refuse to give up to follow Jesus? That the grace of God may fill you and the love of Christ may overflow in your life, that you may rest in the gospel and the love of Christ, knowing that genuine disciples of Jesus focus their hearts on Christ, not the letter of the law, by receiving the gift of, the God, of, the, of Sabbath and doing the work of Sabbath.